Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Sherlock's Highlights podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by Astrid Carter, Heather Steele, and Georgina Blasky. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. Let's talk about TV. I have a lot to contribute today. Has anybody else been watching anything good? Again, same as last week, Bodyguard and Bake Off are like my main ones. As in, I'm actually in front of the TV when they come on, when they're meant to be on. Yes. How weird is it having to wait for something to come out? I feel like I like that instant gratification with a Netflix series where you just have it all. Bodyguard's really like teasing me. I feel like I wouldn't enjoy it as much though if I had been say all six in a day, which I would have done otherwise. Yeah. So actually I'm quite enjoying it. Often shows aren't meant to be binged, like sh- particularly ones where in the past they were for TV and then yeah. they've now gone on a streaming service. They weren't meant, obviously you find them ridiculous or stupid or whatever because they weren't meant to be consumed in like 10 episodes a day. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be like action, action, yeah. action. Yeah, anyway, Bodyguard <laughs> is so good, isn't it? Yeah. Are you watching it? I haven't watched it. I've actually been really rubbish on the TV this week, but there is that new BBC series coming out on Saturday, I believe, Killing Eve. It looks I'm so, so good. It's already been out in the US and, it, I mean, the reviews have been amazing. It's The BBC have really upped their game on, yes. their, on their dramas this season. That's the new thing with Sandra Oh from yes. Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. and with Jodie Comer and she, she was, was in uh, 13. Doc- and Dr Foster. And Dr Foster. And Foster. Yeah. She's an amazing yeah. actress though. Because she was brilliant in Dr Foster, wasn't she? Was she the... Which the character was she? She was the husband's sort of new younger girlfriend the oh, one who yeah. was the daughter. daughter of the mate and at first like she didn't make a massive impact at first because she played that role yeah. the kind of the, the young, pretty, young pretty girl woman, that he yeah. runs off with but through the series she really like came into her own yes. she's really strong yeah, she yeah. Is. I'm surprised they're launching something on a Saturday night though I know. that's it's unusual big, for drama night they've yeah. been teasing it for a yeah. while there's big posters at the train station Voxels well. covered Voxel, in them yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah as you say big budget mm. looks really exciting interesting that it's launched in the US first so it was on BBC America I think so that's still weird like why don't it's ours the BBC we should get a premiere I know yeah. Well, the other thing I've been watching is the new Vanity Fair on ITV. Tell me about that then, because I haven't bothered with it, but... I love it. So I'm not a period drama person. I could I never... Yeah, we talk I'm about this not, yeah. Extensively on the podcast. I could never get involved with Downton. But Vanity Fair, there's something quite cheeky about it. It doesn't take itself seriously. I was reading something about it this week, and it does the device that they do in House of Cards, where they kind of look to camera or, like, will wink at them. Okay. So they kind of break the fourth wall a lot, really? which makes it... Yeah, it makes fun of itself in that way. Yeah, you don't they, usually get that. No. Period dramas. The music's also really modern. Like on the second episode, I don't know if anyone knows what it's about, but it's about a woman who's basically quite social climbing, mm-hmm. and it ends with like Madonna's Material Girl playing. Oh, and like, cool. whilst it is all kind of period costume and to all intents and purposes, it looks like a period drama. There's something about it that's really kind of been updated for modern time and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I'd seen it on the planner and I missed the first couple and I thought, oh God, you know, another period drama on a Sunday night, not sure I can be bothered. 
But now I know it's got this kind of twist and dose of modern music. And it's almost a bit like Baz Luhrmann does a pure drama there. Yes, it's not quite at that that production level. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But way more engaging than I would have ever expected. So really enjoyed it. So last night I was crying, sobbing into my sofa cushions, watching the last episode of the current series of... The Affair. Oh, really? And I don't know what day this came out, but we've been pretty consistent watching it. I haven't binged. I've never done more than two a night because actually there's so much to take in and I have not missed an episode since it started. You need time to process mm-hmm. and to kind of feel the stories and the characters and you just can't rush it. So like you were saying about waiting for episodes, yeah. I really held on like I'm going to just watch the finale on its own and I was in pieces really yeah I went to bed with puffy it's... eyes oh my God. <laughs> and I know that other people on series I think it's series three and series three is not so good but all I would say is stick with it because it's so worth it because I did quit oh, I, I quit, quit. Yeah. yeah did you quit when he was in prison I he quit at the end of the, season two he was in prison and he started having these visions of a prison guard who oh no got, and that got kind weird. of lost me but I thought no yeah. I'm gonna stick with it and I'm so glad I did I, I really... really liked the first series I think it is that slow Maybe I was binging it a bit too much, which is why I was at the weekends. I was a bit like, mm, yeah, this is boring. It's, it's, I, I never found it boring, but it's so heavy. Yeah. It's, well, it, it's it's so dramatic, back. and I loved it. But what I loved was the storytelling yeah. and the human relationships. And then the story just got really far fetched, and yeah. that's what I couldn't mm. buy anymore. I just I couldn't well, this, buy into it. I think this one goes back to the essence of what it was, where it was kind of he said, she yes, said, yeah, I like same that. scene, different yeah. viewpoints. And I just, how many times you've been in a room with someone where you kind of you're there hearing the same conversations but you've heard different things yes and I have this a lot with my husband where I'm kind of like but you were there and he said this (laughs) and he's like well no I thought he said that like how could we have just misheard it's so and we were so convinced that what we heard was right so it definitely goes back to that much more so I would just urge you to get back into it I'm going back you could probably skip a series and just join it at the end (laughs) that's quite interesting what you just said actually because I've just read Normal People by Sally (gasps) Rooney but isn't that very similar they tend to show the same situations but from the two different people's perspectives and there's so many crossed wires just because someone's thought something but hasn't said it and then the other person's like oh well they didn't say that so they can't who was the author? so Sally Rooney she wrote uh, Conversations with Friends that came out last year yeah. When you said that, I was like, "Yo, that really reminds me of yes. a book conversation." I love yeah. that. This yeah. is better. This is so I'm much better. This is so much so better. So this is her second book. Yeah. This yeah. is her second novel. She's she's, she's my age. Twenty-seven. It makes me feel sick. I know. So I look at the date that she was born, and it was like my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Her insight into human nature. Yeah. Incredible. incredible. I've got about forty pages left. Yeah. I've yeah. yeah. Charlotte it reveal. But I do thing. feel I forgot what a depressing turn her writing takes. It's very, as you say, it's it's a real insight into people, but it's not into happy people. No. Really. It made me depressing. feel things. Yes. Like, I felt very... Uh, totally. But yeah, I can't wait I to know. see how it ends. Yeah. I feel completely emotionally invested. And I've been talking every week on the podcast for weeks <laughs> about how I haven't had anything good to read all well, summer. Well, that's what I was looking forward to telling you all oh, about well, it. But there we go. Because the Hilo talked about it last week and both of them really recommended yeah. it. So I actually ordered it as I was listening to the Hilo. I stood on the train platform yeah. on the Amazon app and I consumed it in like three days. Yeah, I started reading it on Saturday morning and I'd finished it by Sunday morning. Yes, it's just so like nice to get reading. into something, isn't it? Yeah. Well, speaking about books, we wrote a piece last week where every member of the Sherlock's team recommended their favourite book of the year so far. 
This included things like This Is Going To Hurt by Adam Kay. I know I love that one. Eleanor Oliphant, that was a popular one amongst yeah. everybody. <laughs> Everything I Know About Love by Jolly Alderton. And How To Murder Your Life by Kat Marnell. I know that was actually Anna's recommendation, but Georgie loved that too. So that also comes highly recommended. Heather, what was yours on this list? So I went for The Last Romeo by Justin Myers. Mm-hmm. So he's one of my favourite writers. He used to write under the name The Guy Liner and was an, an anonymous blogger. And he used to write about gay culture in a really interesting way. Well, he started doing it again quite recently, which I'm very pleased about. But you know the Guardian blind dates mm-hmm. that they do each week? He kind of does a very detailed, funny analysis of mm-hmm. what everybody said and kind of basically tears them apart in a very nice way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really, really funny. And he's translated a lot of that into his first novel, which is, yeah, The Last Romeo, and it's about dating. So is it fiction? Yeah, it's fiction. Okay. But there's I don't know him, obviously, but just from things I've read that he's written before, some of it definitely seems drawn on experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very funny. And what is the novel actually about? So it's about a guy called James, who is an anonymous dating blogger. Right, okay. And basically, you know, just doing his thing. And then one day he sleeps with an Olympian who's in the closet, writes about it in a kind of secretive way and then they obviously find out that this Olympian's gay and he feels terrible and all the sort of stuff that ensues from that so it is serious as well as being very funny and sharply drawn the characters straight away you're like yep that's them and nice to have a story that isn't just about a heterosexual relationship as well yeah completely Georgina you were actually on this list but what would be your favourite read of the year so far? I've just finished a book called I Am I Am by Maggie O'Farrell and 17 Ways to Die is the kind of tagline Mm -hmm. and I really like Maggie O'Farrell's writing I loved The Hand That First Held Mine I think I just wept I've done a lot of weeping (laughs) (laughs) but anyway that one really got me this one is 17 chapters and each one is a self-contained story all about brushes with death I suppose that she has had And it really made me analyse my own existence because she talks about things like being caught in a riptide when she was swimming with her son on her back, who was a toddler and they were trying to get out to a platform, or when she had one of her children and she was hemorrhaging and all these kind of different scenarios that have happened. And I think so many of us go through an experience in our life where we then maybe either brush it under the carpet or briefly reflect on it, but actually life just comes along and you carry on. And she was talking about one point as a teenager, sort of slightly risky behaviour, jumping off into some water where it was dark, she couldn't really see where she was jumping into. And another time, or I don't want to say them all because I'll ruin it, but it's really, really fascinating because it definitely made me stop and think and reflect about particularly times in my life where something's happened and you've just brushed it off and actually she delves deeper into the feelings that it brought up in her and it's just amazingly gripping and moving and the final chapter is called My Daughter and it just blew me away and I would really recommend that one. Do you think that she's had more near-death experiences than most or do you think that it's because people don't tend to focus on them so much? Like that 17 sounds like a lot of times that you could nearly die. Yeah, so I would say I wouldn't class all of them as being brushes with death but some of them are definitely more serious than others Mm -hmm. without a doubt. The opening one is really creepy because she passes a man on a narrow, deserted path who is then suspected of having killed someone a week later in the same place. Wow. A girl on her own. So it's that there are some things more like that and there are other things that are much more physical Mm -hmm. where she describes the physical feeling of being on the operating table and Mm. wondering where her baby is, that she's just had a cesarean birth to and 
childhood illnesses, and then smaller brushes, such as just that feeling of a car coming really fast right past you, and had you been one inch okay, yeah, further yeah, into the yeah, road. Yeah. Or, so it's a lot of variety. Sure. It's just really interesting that someone reflects yeah. in that way and tells you their life story through this series of incidents. And also sometimes it's the minutiae, like a car going past, that makes for the best literature because when people analyse something so small in such depth, Mm -hmm. it brings so much more meaning to it, doesn't it? Yeah, and there were a lot of things she wrote about where I thought, oh yeah, okay, I think I've had an experience like that, but I never thought of it in those terms. Yeah. So it's just really interesting how different people frame different things in their life. Yes. Yeah, that sounds cool. Really okay, that sounds like a must read. Astrid, what was yours? Definitely the favourite book I read this year was The Panopticon by Jenny Fagan. She's a Scottish writer, but she plays on so many themes, so like psychological thriller, there's a lot of dystopian themes in there. But she writes in this quite Scottish dialect, so very much like Irvin Welsh, and Irvin Welsh is my absolute favourite author mm-hmm. ever. And I think she has been quite open about heavily influenced by Irvin Welsh herself. But The Panopticon is, I think it was her day novel and it's about a girl called Ane. She's a 15 year old girl who's been in the childcare system and been failed by it for years and years and um, obviously because of that she's very vulnerable but she's also like just totally badass, really witty strong and you know you really kind of hope for her that she's going to grow into this amazing person but yeah I would really urge anyone to read it if they're kind of into those books that aren't the easiest to read and is that what it's about it's about following her through her life do you see where she ends up yeah not throughout her life Mm -hmm. it gets to Oh, I don't want to give it away. It doesn't go up too far. But it's her journey. It's her journey. Um, But it's a pretty rocky road, so. Cool. That sounds amazing. Is it funny? In parts, you're, like, crying with laughter, Mm -hmm. but then she'll like turn a page and you'll be crying because something horrendous has happened so it's one of those those are the best books yeah Yeah. oh that sounds amazing well mine was Little Fires Everywhere which I think I've spoken about on the podcast before by Celeste Ng which is just about mother-daughter relationships and I really loved it's just been optioned as well by Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington so that's one to look forward to it's got that those kind of vibes it's nothing like Big Little Lies but you can kind of see it it's also kind of set in like a kind of affluent middle American setting and it's just about make it nice and glossy it's going to look so pretty exactly I read it actually on the back of your recommendation oh did you yeah this summer and I really I just loved it I really loved it again like some tricky moments to take in and some real surprises Mm -hmm. things I was not expecting totally I like a book that's kind of semi-emotionally challenging but isn't like you know going to rip your heart out and stamp on it so it's quite a good middle ground for that Let's talk about being a morning person. Some people can bounce out of bed and for others, their alarm fills them with dread. Have got any morning people in the room? I think I am more a morning person than a, a night owl. Like, I like to go to bed at yeah. night. I, I can't, <laughs> I'm not one of those people who's just still up at 1am reading or kind of watching stuff. I'm, like, fast asleep by then. But I don't like getting out of bed. I think I've just trained myself to have to do it. I think I'm neither. I really <laughs> don't like staying up late and I also really don't like waking up. <laughs> so sleeping, quite yeah. Problematic. yeah. Georgina, what about you? Well, do, you, do you have to be a morning person when you have kids? Okay, so this is actually really interesting thing I think once you have a baby you're obsessed with getting your I must have eight hours sleep a night or otherwise I won't be able to function and I won't be able to think straight I won't be able to do anything and actually all you really need are kind of sleep cycles of about 90 minutes and I think if you can get sort of three or four 90 minute sleep cycles in as a new mum however they may fall (laughs) in 24 hours you're kind of winning and I think once you've gone through that broken sleep period of time which will probably be up to about 12 weeks and that's assuming that you've also had a few uncomfortable heavy pregnancy nights at the end 
you are just so grateful for anything you can get. It's amazing what you can convince yourself that you can do. And I felt that having obsessed about how much time I needed in bed, I've sort of passed all that now. And I wouldn't say I'm a morning person. I wouldn't say I'm a night person either. It just really fluctuates for me. Seasons, maybe probably times of the month, just all sorts of things. But what I have worked out, if I'm getting up in the morning early and I've got to do something, I just cannot spend even a second reflecting or talking about it I just get up without thinking and I do it so if the gym kit if I'm going to the gym at 6 30 the gym kit's there this morning I got up extra early to prepare for this because I couldn't do it last night so it's like right mm-hmm. set the alarm get up at six make up tea sit down do it don't think oh shall I just have 10 more minutes yeah, shall yeah. I put it on snooze or maybe I'll meditate no 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 none of that <laughs> no, no full body scanning no. just get up and do what you and that to me is the only yeah. way I'm not a snoozer, I can't. I let myself have one, so I set it ten minutes early. I do you. I, I cannot mm. snooze at all. You know those people when they Instagram images of their alarm when it's set for like every five that. minutes for no, an hour. Like, no, no. I think it's like masochistic to do that to yourself. As soon as my alarm goes off, I reach even like with my eyes half shut for the television remote control. Oh, that's a good news. idea. And that way at mm, least with yeah. somebody talking I then can't go back to sleep. Yeah. I just don't know why you'd want to keep being like jolted out of sleep. It makes you feel so much worse. So much worse but I'm so with you Georgina on the like cycle thing because if I have six seven or eight hours sleep I always have eight hours sleep pretty much but if it ever happens I have less I feel the same because I'm a good sleeper those like six hours seven hours or whatever is obviously really good sleep and it's like last night I slept so badly but I was asleep the whole night, mm. but I was just sleeping really, I could tell I was like in and out of dreams. Like rough sleep. Mm. I think I was too hot. Yes. But like not hot enough to wake myself up. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So I was in this like weird kind of slumber and I felt so groggy when I woke up. I had yes. puffy oh, eyes. Yeah. So, it's the worst. Yeah. It's all about, you know, getting those cycles in. Quality Definitely. sleep. Quality, yeah. yeah. When I was little, my parents were really strict about sleep. It was like a militant thing. You must get your sleep. And I actually think that was a really bad thing for me. And I've said this to my aunt subsequently because <laughs> it made me paranoid about, I panic yeah. if I'm not going to get my eight hours. Yeah. Or if, and actually it took me until kind of my gap year to learn that I can function without, you know, X yeah. amount of hours or that the world doesn't end if you're tired. And that's kind of how I was brought up to think. And I'm sure it is a good practice, particularly for children. And, and in life to, you know, they say it's much healthier for you, isn't it, to be getting your eight hours. Yeah. But I really have to work hard on myself to not panic if it looks like I'm not going to yeah, get my Yeah, you go to hours. set your alarm and you know it's less than Yeah, hours, I time it to like go seconds, off. exactly. Yeah. And, that's, and it's not healthy. I need to, because you can survive. You know, we've all yeah. had those nights where you don't sleep at all and all that happens is you're just tired. That's all yeah. it is and yeah, then you yeah. survive. You, you are tired, but to me, being that tired actually feels worse than being like hungover. I completely agree. I cannot function. Like, I actually, it's a real worry of mine. I worry about when I have children, like yes. how I'm going to cope. Me too. Yeah. Like what, what you just said about the nice minutes. <laughs> what like, you just whatever. said is horrifying <laughs> to me. Like that's enough to put me off having children. That cycle thing. <laughs> oh no, don't let it put you off. It's, it's <laughs> a short moment great. in time, yeah. really. In the grand scheme of 18 it's, years. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, like 12 That's true. So in this piece, we had different techniques for making yourself a morning person. So I talked about turning on the TV. What does everybody else do to make sure you can actually get up? and wake up 
the thing you said about turning on the TV, I actually wrote that down too because what I think is when I turn on the TV and I see the breakfast presenter sitting there, quaffed, yeah, made, made up, up, and I'm thinking, Perky. you Perky. poor love, you've been up since four yeah. to get into the studio, <laughs> then you had full makeup on your face I by know. six. Oh my God. And here I am at seven. So I think, you know, however early it feels to me, yes. there's always someone who's been up earlier. It's good motivation, isn't yeah. it? Heather, what about you? Yeah, just get straight in the shower, basically. Do you, so you don't lie in bed at all? No, wow. not really. I allow myself half an hour to 40 minutes. Really? I don't have to lie there. Yeah, I take that long to psych myself up to get out. What are you, oh, are you no. just kind of lying there? Yeah, watching yeah. the news, looking at my phone. I'm really bad at hopping oh. out of bed. So I set my alarm yeah. extra early. So I wake up at like 6.30 yeah, yeah. and get up at like 7.15. Got you. Oh, no, I'm no. not going out. Shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Coffee as soon as I'm out the shower. Yeah. If I don't, I know, that's brutal. If I have to be up super early, like for a flight or a work thing, I just make sure there's some nice food in the house because oh, that is clever. the first thing I want to do when I get up is eat breakfast. I don't some people aren't hungry when they wake uh, up. Yeah, I'm I don't, I don't yeah, eat until 11. Yeah, I'm just not hungry in the morning. No. Eating something as soon as I wake up just seems really weird. Really? Like, I can't imagine. I don't have any appetite. Oh, I just oh, like, no, I always have breakfast before I leave the house. And I didn't today because... Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> and yeah, I felt ravenous when I got here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also really like the point about being your blackout blinds this season. Mine aren't blackout blinds, but I put the curtains yeah. all the way down on the weekends. And then in the week, it's like, nope, that's it. That's treat over. You know, you've got to have a bit of sunlight to get you motivated. And that's why winter's so hard. It's really mm. When you leave the house and it's still pitch black outside oh, and you come back and it's dark, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the worst. It's the worst. Well, we've got that to look forward to, haven't we? We have. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There are some things in life that are notoriously tricky to navigate and asking for a pay rise at work is one of them. We wrote a piece on the best ways to ask for a little bit more money. Tips included finding the opportune moment, doing your research and aiming high. Georgina, I'm going to come to you first. As a freelancer, mm. I suspect this comes up relatively often. Yeah, I've always negotiated freelance rates. I think everyone does. And normally it works because an employer is always going to have a budget that they need to stick to and they're always going to come in low. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like part of the process and part of the game. So you ask for X and you hope to end up with something in between. And if you don't ask, you don't get... If you really want to do a job because you think it's going to be a great stepping stone to something else, you might be willing to do something for less for someone than you would for someone else. For freelancers, I think negotiation is part of it. Mm -hmm. It's not something I enjoy doing. I think most people, and perhaps this is wrong, but I think men are probably better, hence the gender pay gap, Mm -hmm. going in 
asking for more and expecting to get it even if they're less qualified or experienced and whereas the research shows that women generally feel they have to prove themselves first Mm -hmm. and then ask for the rise after whereas men see it as the other way around sounds so bullshit of men doesn't it mm. <laughs> like, I'll just ask money and then prove myself yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> so I think in terms of a full time job sometimes if you ask too soon and you settle for something small had you waited and held out then there is the argument that you could then ask for more mm-hmm. and you can have a bigger step up because what you don't want to do is ask for a raise get a sort of incremental mm-hmm. bit and then think oh god well now I can't ask for another year and a half and actually I wish I'd waited and that didn't really make a difference yes and it's kind of all backfired yeah that's good advice it actually says that in this piece we interviewed somebody from monster.co.uk which is an employment site and she said try to avoid asking more than once a year as you could potentially come across as unrealistic or even greedy she also says if you're still in your first year at the company it may not be favorable to ask for a pay rise unless you've done something amazing or your workload has increased so i think that's all valuable to really pick the right moment does anyone here find it comfortable or easy asking for a pay rise it's always awkward, isn't it? It's never a kind mm. of smooth, comfortable conversation. Mm. I think when you ask for a pay rise, if you kind of adhere to the rules, like do it within your annual review and stuff, the whole situation isn't that comfortable. It's like being in an interview yes. again, mm. but with people that you know really well and um, yeah. work closely with every day. So yeah. it's a kind of awkward situation all around. And I think if you really kind of took joy in asking for a pay rise, you'd be quite a strange character. It's, it's something that fills me with anxiety. Any kind of conversation that is even vaguely confrontational fills me with anxiety. Yeah, so, yeah, of course. So, and, and it's kind of putting yourself right in the kind of lion's mouth of those conversations, isn't it? Yeah, because exactly. it's, it's naturally you bringing it up as yes. well. I mean, most employers, I don't think, are like go on there now yeah exactly you have to kind of ask for it and particularly I have friends who work in kind of big corporations where that kind of is more than all Mm -hmm. where they are just given pay rises or or, you know you're just negotiating it with a line manager who's then it's a long process and it's much less personal I think Mm -hmm. in a small business Mm -hmm. it's much harder to broach those conversations I suppose sometimes you're not actually having the conversation with the decision maker either so yeah that's another weird level to add in because then they've got to go away yes presumably to Mm -hmm. ask the person with the person Strings. Oh, but I think that's much better. I think it's much more comfortable to go to somebody who's not holding the purse strings and explain yourself because yeah. that's yeah. it's less personal that way. It's just yeah. it's presenting a case. Well, personal back the other way if they say no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's better actually mm. to have a messenger to have a kind of yeah. go between in those circumstances. Yeah, so what do you do if you ask and then you're told no, but we really value you, but we just haven't got the budget or something. I mean, that's the line. Because that's then, are you then putting yourself in a position where you have to look for another job and leave, or do you just ride it out? Well, this piece does say to play the long game. It says that if you don't get the amount you're hoping for or even a raise at all, don't let that make you lose your motivation. She says the important thing is to keep working hard and gather that proof, because if you are a valued employee, a pay rise will be too hard for your employer to resist. But she also says why not try and ask for other things instead so if it's you know not a pay rise that they can offer then ask for additional benefits so like this suggests a company car allowance or increased contribution to a pension scheme so I think there are different ways employers can prove that you are valued but yeah I think there's got to be a point hasn't there it depends how long you've been somewhere I also think like if it is a two-way street and your employer does think you're doing a good job and thinks, you know, you're up there for a pay rise, but they just don't have the budget, I think you can kind of say, maybe review this again in like three mm-hmm. months or something like that. You don't have to wait for another whole year. Yes, it's true. That your employer should be kind enough, yeah. if it is a, simply a budget thing, to give you a bit of leeway in that 
annual review yeah, process. I guess it depends how nice your boss is. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the workplace, if I look around the room, everybody's in pretty casual guests. Like, you look nice today, actually, Astrid, but mm. I know I'm pretty casual today. We wrote a piece on what the dress code says about your workplace. So whether it's casual, smart, casual or corporate, how does that affect the way you work? We talked about this on the show last week a little bit, but I want to hear more about what people feel. Heather, we don't really have a dress code here, do we? It's no. Just, no gym kit, I think, is the dress code. <laughs> how do you feel about that? Is it different to places you've worked in the past? Not really, no. I suppose, yeah, most journalism outlets have a relatively relaxed dress code, you know. I think when I first started my previous job, you could get sent out to an event at any moment, so make sure, you know, you're mm-hmm. not wearing something that you wouldn't want to wear to a work event. But otherwise, like some people used to just keep a spare dress or, mm-hmm. you know, something nearby and yeah I think as long as you're not representing the company anywhere you can kind of wear what you want I think whereas here I suppose because you could always be on camera doing something Mm. it's probably best to err on the side of you know (laughs) make a bit of an effort yeah yeah exactly and do you like being able to wear whatever you like definitely Mm -hmm. yeah I think I can't imagine wearing a suit you know kind of two-piece all the time or anything like that at all and it would just get more expensive as well I feel yeah it would be really weird if suddenly we did have to come in and high heels yeah yeah that would be very odd Astrid I know it bothers me not having some kind of uniform almost kind of and if anything goes then anything goes and that's quite overwhelming do you feel the same I don't know. I think our job's so kind of fluid. We're doing different things every day. So, for example, you said I looked quite nice today. Thank you, Charlotte. <laughs> I've got an important meeting to go to this afternoon, so I thought I'd better look nice. But then equally, I'll be on a shoot next week and I'll be in my trainers because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be tossing around in my heels. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's quite relative to what we do, what we wear. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in a more corporate environment, it is quite kind of standard day to day. So my boyfriend works in a corporate environment and they have recently done away with the corporate dress code. So if you're going to a meeting, you have to wear a suit, but otherwise you can wear, I don't know, like chinos and a shirt. It's more casual. And we were talking about this last night at a family dinner and my dad said that he used to work somewhere that was like that. But in the end, he found he was getting changed so many times a day (laughs) that it was easier just to wear a suit all the time and just, I don't know, keep a tie in the drawer. Because Ben was agreeing that everybody's keeping all these different bits of clothing in their office because... I think your dress code has to apply to what your everyday is because there's no point getting rid of a dress code of every five minutes you're having to put on a suit yeah, that's more to go stressful. out to a meeting. I yeah. think it is more stressful, particularly if you're a girl. I think as a boy, that's probably yeah. Yeah. doable. I but. think these kind of corporate guidelines that have been kind of the same for years and years and years, decades even, it is kind of time for them to change, especially for women, especially as women are you know in a much different place on the career ladder these days. They just don't really work for modern life. Mm. And I think when I look at some of my friends who work in those really really corporate environments and they do have those boxes to tick like right down to like they have to wear new tights kind of thing they actually look worse than if they were given a little bit of leeway so true like their working wardrobe would be smarter they'd feel better than if they were just adhering to these like archaic rules I do think that fashion today makes it easier to be really smart without you know having to wear like a pencil skirt and staggering heels but if your dress code absolutely does not allow for that then you're kind of stuck aren't you and you know we get emails and Instagram messages from real women who are working in these environments asking for advice so it's obviously kind of a thing that's on people Georgina? I think you feel better mentally if you're well put together. So I think the no gym kit rule, for example, is really important because I work from home a lot. And if I chuck on the gym kit, take the kids to school, walk the dog, and I'm sat there in my gym kit, I'm obviously working, but I don't feel necessarily as slick Mm -hmm. as if I've put something different on. 
I also think sometimes if you start a new job, you can have a bit of imposter syndrome and your clothes can be a bit of a armor for that. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of fake it till you make it. If you can just dress in a way that enables you to feel like you've kind of earned that place at the Mm -hmm. table, then it can be really useful, the sort of clothes you wear at work. So I think it is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about fashion. It's about looking the part. Mm, And that can mentally put your head in the game. So I think it's really important to respect the rules around what you need to wear at work because it shows you're taking your job seriously. I completely agree. And also, even if you're not trying to outwardly show that, it's important to feel it for yourself. I definitely have days where I'm like, okay, I need to dress like a fashion editor today. Where, you know, (laughs) like other day, if you're going to sit behind your desk all day, like today, I have Mm -hmm. made a huge effort with my outfit because I just need to sit down and crack on. But certainly if there are days, either you don't feel that well or you've got a big meeting, for whatever reason, you need a little extra dose of confidence or kind of reminder to get on with your job. Because Mm -hmm. if you're like, yeah, if you're in just like a big jumper and trainer, sometimes you can just slack off a bit. Yeah, you feel slouchy. <laughs> yes. and, and I think it's the same with a bit of makeup as well. And yes. just things like wash your hair, put some makeup on. Totally. And sort of look serious that you're well presented there to do the job. Yes. And that doesn't have to be with a big budget. It can just be that you're... You wash your hair that, that way. You've taken, you're taking it seriously. <laughs> yeah, I would never come to work without makeup on. Never, ever, ever. I think people would be asking if I was okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, you definitely look unwell today. I have friends who because they work in corporate environments. It's like a funny mix because they work in corporate environments so they have to wear smart clothing but obviously they don't really care about who's seeing them so they won't bother doing their hair or their makeup which is kind of it's the just, total flip side of yeah. what we yeah. have where I don't mind being in jeans and trainers but... Your hair will always be immaculate. Ha- yeah, well, thank you, but yeah, <laughs> I tried. But I agree with you. I don't think we'd be doing our jobs justice if we did come in looking like total messes. I know Georgie listened to a podcast a while ago with Kate Reardon when she was still the editor of Tatler who said something along the lines of if I have to wear heels every day then so did my workforce Mm -hmm. and it was kind of expected of them to be in heels and to be dressing the part and I don't think that's the wrong attitude. Let's talk about apps. We wrote a piece called eight new apps to shake up your routine. They included things like Spin which helps you find the best tennis courts in London and Peanut a matchmaking app for mums. Some of these may sound a little specific but I want to know what apps everybody here relies on. When I was thinking about this piece I thought I don't use any apps at all I'm pretty okay when it comes to my phone but actually that's not true I had a flick through and there's quite a few that I rely on so Georgina I'll come to you you an app girl a few there's a really good app that I've been using for my kids pocket money called Go Henry it comes with its own little bank card so it's more than just an app I have heard of that actually. Mm, I think I might have mentioned that. it before actually but what's really good is it you pay the money in my daughter has it on her phone I've got it on mine she can be out, I can see that she needs cash and ping it through the app. Mm-hmm. And within five seconds, her card is loaded, ready to, for what she needs, whether it's you know transport mm-hmm. or something. Obviously not just to go shopping or to go to Starbucks, <laughs> but something a bit more serious. But there's also elements to the apps where they can do tasks over certain times and days, whether it's homework or household chores. And I think it's just a really good way to teach about money and the value of money and how much you're spending, maybe without realising, because obviously cashless society... The danger is that we don't actually physically part with our money, so yeah. then you don't know tap, what we're spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So that's one that, that I like. And one I've used recently, which I imagine I'm going to start using a lot more, is called Nextdoor. Have you heard of this? No. So it's meant to be a trusted platform for a safer community. And the idea is that you log in and you select your area so you can actually on the map yourself choose to which streets almost you actually want to cover and then other people have logged in to the app as well and created their profiles 
and you can use it for anything. You can buy and sell on it. You might, if you've lost your cat, you can post. You can, perhaps there's someone dodgy going around the neighborhood. You can alert people. You can look for a babysitter, a decorator. It's that amazing community platform. And I think it started in America, but it's firmly established in Europe now. And I know lots of people, my friend who got two hamsters who needed hamster cages and actually there was someone two streets away getting rid of two hamster cages. And it's just for little things, like proper neighbourhood things. It's really good. Tickets for the theatre will get pinged up there that someone can't go. So it's yeah. really good. Is there anyone on there that is a bit paranoid? Like, oh, I've just seen a man walking around. No, not that I've <laughs> come across. It seems to be busy working people, parents, and I don't feel like it's nosy neighbourhood territory. Mm, okay. It's not full of kind of nimbyism comments and things like that. It feels like a community, practical, helpful, community based. And the variety of what people post. And the other good thing about it, because when I signed up, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get all these notifications. I Actually, I don't want to know what's happened to the hamster cages. And, you know, and <laughs> yeah, who's yeah. taken them and who hasn't and how grateful you are. I don't need that. Thank you. No, thank you. No, no, no. <laughs> you can choose your notifications. So it's got cool. a lot of flexibility. Sorry, and remind us what the name of that was. It's called Next Door. Next Door. I'm going to be downloading that ASAP. Oh, and there's some very strange people where I live. I don't want to get to know <laughs> any of them. <laughs> Yeah, I may well regret this. Uh, Heather, what about you? I feel like you're not quite so reliant on technology as some of us. Do you use apps? I think occasionally I've got obviously like the Netflix ones and the sort of TV based ones for occasionally watching stuff on the train. But I've got my Monzo app, which obviously is related to my Monzo card, which is a a debit card, Mm -hmm. which is like a budgeting tool, basically. But a new one I've started recently using only again because I went on holiday with six people is Splitwise. And it's so good. You basically just put everybody into this group. And as soon as you spend any money on anything, you just update it Mm -hmm. and everyone gets a notification notification like you owe Heather six pounds you don't have to give them the money straight away but basically between the six of us over a couple of weeks it all kind of worked itself out oh clever so you could pay somebody else could pay for something else and then it and it automatically works yeah you basically you can see it in real time when you add it in it kind of balancing the book that's so clever so yeah you're not constantly having to transfer money between people but you obviously can if you want to one app I do use all the time well not all the time but I do really rate is Twickets so if you want to see a band or a concert or something that's sold out, they resell tickets and it's all approved so it doesn't go through touts. They're sold at face value and you can set up really easy alerts. So Genius. I'm actually going to see the Arctic Monkeys this weekend from a Twitter. Twitter. Cool. Twitter. Excellent yeah. work. And they don't charge kind of ridiculously overinflated. There's like a small handling fee. But um, but it's in a ticket. It's not like when you go and resell sites no. and people are selling them for like hundreds more. So that's, that's the point. Yeah. They sell right. it at the price it was bought. So there's like a slight fluctuation between sure. if you buy it through different companies. But it's really good. Let's end by chatting a bit about baking. Bake Off is officially back. Heather, I know you're addicted, a bit like I am. And obviously the show has been held responsible for increasing interest in baking over the last few years. Ashley, I'm going to come to you first because I know you have not been susceptible to the Bake Off effect. You've got no interest in the show. I find the Bake Off so boring. I've tried to like dip my toe in every year it comes out. 
but you're effectively watching the same program every week. They're just baking a different kind of cake. See, that's how I feel about Strictly, which I know is oh, controversial, but I've just never, I can't get into it. I've tried watching it a bit every year and I just don't care. You're not in the right place no. to say that, I'm afraid. So I'm I also, sorry. baking's just not my bag. Like, I love cooking. I'm a big cook, but baking to me is just a waste of time. See, I didn't see it as that different to cooking shows. Like, saying on MasterChef, <laughs> they just cook something every week. But I like, love that. No. But this is the same. They just bake something every week. It's just a no, type because of it's one John, like, but I there's don't know. so much variety in the yeah. tasks, and sometimes they're like, "You're going to bake this thing, which is only made in this small hill town somewhere yeah. in Chile." Yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah. "I've never heard of it." Oh my god! Yeah, and they get, get and they have to use their skills and knowledge from something else that they have made. I think that's really interesting. And also, the thing I find amazing is how. These normal people are so creative. They're like artists. It's Some incredible. Of their work is just incredible. Yeah. And it's always the people you don't expect either, isn't it? Yeah. Like Terry's face thing in yes. the episode one. It was like, oh God, what's this guy going to do? And then totally. you're like, oh wow, that's and amazing. There are, I mean, I haven't watched it many times, so I'm putting my hands up. I don't know as much as you guys. <laughs> but sometimes I've watched it and I've been disappointed with the way they look. They just look a bit like floppy or to the side or like the colours happen. aren't very nice. But then the people who end up winning... It's I'm rare sure that they I'm sure they're amazing but you know yeah. you see so many amazing kind of cake makers on Instagram and stuff and then you watch the bake off and they're all a little bit wonky. I definitely agree that we've been <laughs> desensitized to amazing cakes. Cake I'm guilty boss. of watching a bit of cake boss every now and again <laughs> and so I know what you mean like yeah. there's some amazing cakes out there and bake off doesn't always compare but that's because they're amateurs as you say Georgina and also part of the fun is watching them create things that they have no idea what they're doing and that's kind of part of the human side of the show. Yeah. And watching people face those adversities where they make things that are crap and then they just you know, they really grow and they get better. When you see them with something that's flopped yeah. and like say it was really hot in the marquee that day yeah. and you know actually yeah. it's completely which this series will be quite funny because obviously it was very hot yeah, yeah. They, when they, they were baking they did a chocolate one last week and everything was just yeah and, and, and they carry it up and they know <laughs> yeah. they're like here you are Paul <laughs> and you can see they're thinking oh my god I just don't want to be yeah. on camera right now so true but I love it because it's something I can watch with my kids and mm, true. that time yeah. of so life nice. when they finish their homework there aren't always that many great shows around and that's a good one and they've done kind of little bake-off competitions at school and it's really sweet Sweet. but I watched last week Deborah Brett the fashion editor on Instagram who um, she's on this rainbow cake for her daughter's birthday and it was on her stories and I think I watched it about four times (laughs) and then the next morning there was the update because now it was iced and then she showed how she made these unicorn cookies they were amazing and how she swirled the mane and again I watched that I will never do that I mean it made me feel very inferior mother but wow (laughs) she is she's a real homemaker isn't she Incredible. Yeah. I think she should be on like celebrity bake off. She <laughs> yeah, wiped the floor. That's so true. So has bake off inspired you to bake more for yourself? No, like oh. with us I don't really like baking. Oh. I, I don't you just like watching other people do it? Yeah, I like cooking loads, but mm. uh, more savoury things, not really cakes or I just wouldn't eat it, yeah. I think. Yeah, I'd make too. it and then yeah, that's it. I'd bake a pie. Yeah. Okay. A crumble. Or like a beef crumble. wellington or something. Yeah. That's the baking. Yeah, bacon. it's pastry. It's pastry. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. Would you make the pastry? Because if not, then you're literally wrapping stuff. <laughs> it's not that hard. To be honest, I probably would just buy it from the shop. Yeah, I would as well. But, then, <laughs> but therefore, I don't think that's baking. <laughs> Put it in the oven to bake. <laughs> sure, Georgina. Any motivation? No, my daughter's a baker in our house, and I'm happy to pass that one over to her. <laughs> I actually hate icing. So but the taste of it, or do I hate it? The, all of it, okay. but particularly the taste of it. I hate those. Cu- 
cupcakes when cupcakes suddenly 10 years ago were the thing oh, like and the it would be like one, yeah, yeah and then like kind of there's more I icing than cake yeah I just scoop it off chuck it in the bin and I'll eat <gasps> the sponge but I can't okay we need to sum it up and I'll eat your icing yeah <laughs> okay fair I perfect love it, like, afternoon tea match made in heaven <laughs> exactly <laughs> well I have just been eliminated from our office oh. bake off sweepstakes so when I say just it was a week ago so I'm going to crack on and do that maybe I'll channel my inner Deborah Brett and get a unicorn cake going <laughs> that's all we've got time for today if you like that please do rate review subscribe and we'll see you next week even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about quince they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.